When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, we're back again. This is Indie Beat. My name is Christopher Jason Bell. And guess what? We got someone here that I'm going to talk to. Who knew? So, this episode's guest is Adam Kellerman. Hello, Adam. Hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me. Dude, pleasure's all mine. So, Adam, you have a feature film that is out now. It is your first feature film. It is called Easy Living. And I want to say congrats that you you made it, you premiered it, it's out, it's ready to go, and that's a really great thing. So we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about other things too, but first I want you to tell us uh, how you got into film. It's, you know, it's a long story. I, I grew up in the Valley in Los Angeles, so... You'd figure that I would have all these film ties growing up in L.A., but I really didn't. Um, my my grandfather was an accountant to be, uh, be like soap stars in like the '60s and '70s, um, and and uh, he um, he also was like randomly the accountant of Robert Shapiro, <laughs> like O.J. Simpson's lawyer, which is so random, so weird. And I remember meeting Robert Shapiro's parents like at his 80th birthday. It's just you know L.A. is a small world, um, but uh. And then uh, after, you know, I love film growing up. You know, I, I would always, I just remember, you know, my parents always like tell, like always being mad at me having opinions about things or laughing at my like weird opinions of movies. And wait, 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 no, we're not going to move on from that. Can can you give yeah. me one like what example of that? Well, no, it was just like, um, you know, it's like when we go to see like whatever blockbuster that premiered, and you know, it, I think I remember it was like Volcano, you know, that silly movie. Um, about a volcano in LA um, erupting and causing havoc. Um, And I just was like, I just, just dug into it like this like fool. And I was like, this is, how is this even a movie? And just like, I I just remember like quoting, like as someone like fell into lava, like I'm melting like the witch from the wizard of Oz. Like it just was, it was just so ridiculous that like people were watching this movie and paying money for it. But my, you know, my parents laughed at that and like, I think they could tell that I was like really into movies and like, you know, dissecting them. Um, and, uh, you know, I would love to like go run to the grocery store to pick up the new entertainment weekly or, um, you know, always, um, f- wanting to hear what the new films were at Sundance and Cannes. you know, I always, you know, Roger, D- I watched Roger and Ebert like every Sunday re- religiously, you know? Um, I even did like a project on like a movie. I did like a project on my, my, one of my favorite comedies of that time, Romeo and Michelle's. And like, there were basically there, uh, used their review and created a survey on like, do reviews, um, uh, make you want to go to a movie more or less. And I, you know, surveyed my whole school basically. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, that, yeah, that stuff, you know, I, I ended up going to college at UC San Diego. I didn't know we had a film major for a while, but then I discovered, 
Um, I worked at Blockbuster Burt Video in San Diego, and one of my um, uh, colleagues there, fellow employees, said, oh, yeah, there's a, a film program buried under visual arts. And once I discovered it, it was actually a pretty cool program, like Jean-Pierre Gorin, um, who made Tuva Bien with Godard. Like, he made, like, all the kind of socialist Godard movies with, you know, co-directed. And there was also Babette Mangolt, who was the DP for uh, Chantal Ackerman. Um, on basically, like, most of Chantel's big films, like Jean Dielman. Um, and so we had, like, this kind of uh, mini French New Wave enclave in San Diego, which is so random. Um, and, you know, there I learned, you know, that's when I started diving into international cinema. And, like, also that was kind of, you know, I was working at Blockbuster, so I literally just devoured all the international section, which was, like, very, like, small. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, it's like, Oscar nominated ones definitely they'll have that but yeah it's like wild strawberries like that was <laughs> yeah yeah the canon stuff you got to start somewhere so it's like pretty yeah. useful and that was also the exact same time netflix started the netflix dvd version started and so i was just like consuming like one after the other i would send it back and like i would get i think i had two so i'd like watch two a week or two every three days and send them back and get them back the next two days right before the weekend you know it was like really religious about it. Like I just wanted to watch as much as I could about my, like my favorite, like just, I kept on discovering directors. Like once I found Fassbender, I watched like 20 of his movies in a month, basically, you know? Um, um, and so th- there I kind of like um, realized I kind of found my niche, like in the film department there. And I had some amazing like young professors that really like, um, you know, helped me like, you know, build confidence because, you know, I think it's, I don't know, unless you're like, you know, I think film is a funny thing in the sense of like, you don't, unless you like were given a camera like Steven Spielberg or, you know, whatever, and Mike Shyamalan when they're like 10 or 8, um, you don't really know what to do with, you know, these creative urges you have because you can't really just like start making a movie out of nowhere, you know. Um, and you can't, like, you can't, in the same way you can't draw, you can draw, you know, it's like, that's easy to do, but making movies a little more complicated. Um, and, you know, I, at college, I fell in love with making stuff and um, watching tons of movies and realized I had an, a knack for at least like dissecting movies. And um, after that, after school ended, um, I um, when I actually became a film journalist for four years. Um, and I worked for like Soma, um, Soma magazine, which is this like kind of like art fashion uh, magazine based out of San Francisco. And I worked for uh, Slant and AOL Movie Phone and kind of d- did the press junket circuit for four years. Um, oh, sorry. I, I moved back to LA. I moved back to LA after college. Um, and then while I was kind of doing um, this kind of freelance journalist stuff, I was also starting to PA on movie sets. And that, you know, my first, um, one of my first jobs, actually my first job was this Burger King commercial that was, I was super green on, but I will never like want to think of that day again. Cause it was a disaster, but, um, cause I would like showed up late, which is like the worst thing you could do. Um, um, but I made like two or 300 bucks for like one day, which was amazing, but they never called me again. Um, and then I just, uh, you know, I was, you know, desperate to get more work and I like started looking through Craigslist and I found like an ad that popped up for like a, a PA position for a hundred dollars a day on an independent movie. And I answered the ad 
And um, when I got to the set, it ended up being a film starring um, Vincent Gallo. Um, and that's when I kind of really, um, and, you know, through um, some process, uh, through some um, interesting um, uh, chances, he became the director and of the film and uh i really got to learn under vincent gallo what it's like to be on a set professionally and kind of follow this man who i you know i obviously i love uh was a buffalo 66 um you know and i i you know just really just kind of watched him and observed what he did you know on set and that's kind of like formed a lot of the basis of like how I work on movie sets now, I think in a lot of ways, obviously I don't remember a lot of what he did like directing wise, but I um, just kind of, you know, got off on his like energy on set, which was like, uh, he just very, he's very enthusiastic man. Yeah. I can imagine that. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be like at least something rubbed off on you like subconsciously or whatever, just to be there. But that's really interesting that like, you know, not a lot of people can say that, that, you know, your, your teacher, your, your sensei or whatever in, in many ways was of all people, Vincent Gallo. So that's, uh, you have that. Yeah. No, he was, he was actually like a really cool, interesting guy. Like I, you know, I, I definitely, I, I definitely value that like time working on that set. And I learned a lot just like about how movie sets work. So it was a great, I don't know. I, I valued the experience, you know, um, and, um, and then there, and then I, you know, you know, I just decided one day I was like, I, I I got sick of working on other people's stuff. And I was like, I need to make a short film. And I like talked to my mom one night and like, she almost convinced me out of it. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I need to make a short film. So, um, I took like, you know, all this bar mitzvah money that I had saved up over the years. I never touched it in my bank account. You know, that was like nearly 10 years just sitting in there. And I, I, um, I made a short, um, called, uh, going back, which, um, which we filmed in like a day and a half. We shot it on, um, 16, um, with a DP I found from another project I'd worked on after college from a, like through a friend. Um, and he came on and we shot in a day and a half and it, um, luckily premiered at South by Southwest, which was like pretty amazing. Um, cause I, you know, it's like, obviously I've heard about the film festival world from an outsider. I didn't have that many friends that were filmmakers other than my friends from college. Um, so I, no one I knew really had experience on the festival circuit. Um, and so it was pretty astonishing that it made it in. And, and then I, from that experience, I'm, you know, at South by Southwest, I made a ton of like friends that lived in New York and that ended up you know, sparking my desire to move to New York where, where I am now, you know, that's, I, first of all, didn't know that you did, uh, film journalism stuff. Um, which is interesting. I'd like to get your thoughts on that, but, uh, we pretty much did the exact same thing because I was doing critic work in New York while I was like PAing on sets here and there. Um, which I hated, you know, I, I really, really couldn't stand it. And it was one of those things where I was like, I think I was just such a lousy PA and one of those, like, I didn't want to be the suck up PA. Cause that was, that position was already taken. And it was like, this person is going like, we're going to go to war with one another. And I'm like, get 
you know, I'm not going to fucking do that. Um, so I would do like fire watch and stuff, just sit with the equipment. And I was like, this is such a waste of time. This is, I should be just doing like my own thing. And, um, yeah, met some people and made a short in probably a very similar way to, uh, what you said with the short, what was that experience like? So you just, you were submitting it to like a bunch of different festivals. Like what made you submit to South by aside from it being, you know, a good festival? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew, obviously I knew the kind of like the four big U S festivals, you know? Um, and I, 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 you know, I, I had no, I, you know, you never know what people's tastes are. Um, like a programmer's tastes are like, even to this day, like I have friends that are programmers now and I, I still don't know their taste fully, you know? So it's so, it is a little bit frustrating because you're like, oh, you're like, oh, I made this film. I wonder if they'll like it, you know? And you're like, I, you have no way of knowing, um, or, you know, obviously there are other factors that play in programming, especially with shorts. Um, but, uh, I, um, yeah, I just submitted to self, I just kind of submitted to like about five to 10 festivals up front. Um, because I knew like, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I knew that would be kind of a long time to find it place somewhere. And, you know, fortunately like self by took it. Um, and you know, it was, it was interesting, like playing a festival for the first time. I, I think it was a bit overwhelming and I didn't really know what to expect, um, and because my first short was kind of a little bit more of a technical experiment, like we had about, there's like only like a 10 or 11 shots in the whole film and two of the shots are like five minutes long each. Oh, well. And so, um, that sounds like my shit. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you'll like it. Um, but, uh, um, and so like when you you know put this kind of movie in a, like a, you know, a slate or a program with all different kinds of shorts, you know, I was a little bit caught off guard because I thought, oh, they'll be like kind of quiet and experimental. Not, it's my film's not like really experimental, but it's like it's doing things that like are like cinematic, you know, um, quote unquote. Um, but when you put in a film, you know, a, a program with a lot of different varying shorts that are very cinematic, some and kind of some are a little bit more like kind of web shorts in a way or like kind of very comedic. Um, it, it caught me off guard, you know, I was just like, Oh, wow. I didn't know what to expect. And that was a little bit, um, I think I, I, I learned to like check myself <laughs> because I was like, I almost was like, Oh, why, why am I here? <laughs> you know, but, um, I obviously self by was a great, it was a great experience to go there. And I met a lot of friends that I'm still friends with today, um, during that first year. So. Mm, I gotcha. And then, Let's go from that. So that was your your first short, at least that, you know, maybe you're not embarrassed by or like well, you got it out there. Um, yeah. And then the second one would be uh, the movie Long Days. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Okay, so that's interesting. I had seen this. I don't know where. Maybe through uh, Hammer to Nail. I had seen it like years ago. So in preparation, I rewatched it and. Uh, I liked it. It was just like, oh, I've definitely seen this. Like, this has been out there. Um, but I don't want to spoil it because I think there might be a spoilery thing and I don't want to say anything. But um, maybe you can just, like, briefly pitch it. Yeah. And um, 
I do like it. And, you know, you brought up Chantel Ackerman before. It definitely feels like uh, something similar to what she was doing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's 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 kind of a mystery in a lot of ways, um, Long Days is. And I really wanted to kind of make my own version of a genre film, um, but done in a kind of like slow, progressively, you know, plotting way. Um, um, and it's, you know, it's about a kind of a mysterious woman who's kind of uh, living inside of a motel and you kind of slow, like slowly clues are revealed about her over the time of the short um, until the end. And, um, I think, you know, that was like, I really just wanted to do something kind of fun, you know, with that as well as kind of mysterious and kind of like try to like try to do a genre movie, you know, in a way. Um, and, and do things that were, so I think I was getting a little bit, um, I don't know, I don't want to use the word bored, but I, I think, um, just seeing what the indie scene was then, and it was very mumblecore ish and like Brooklyn, Brooklyn-y. And I just moved to New York and Brooklyn. So, and this was like 2009 or 2010. No, no, sorry. Yeah. 2010, 2011 is when I moved to Brook, uh, New York. And that's when I, like a lot of the mumblecore stuff was happening. Um, and I, and I was like, you know, I kind of want to do something that's kind of static and well composed and like, you know, emphasis on design and colors and, and darkness and, you know, genre and kind of almost go back to basics in a way. Um, and, um, and I think that's kind of birthed and I use the same DP. He came out and we shot it on super 16. Um, and it was a, it was actually a really fun experience. We shot it over three and a half days in New Jersey um, I, I got to work with, um, the special effects guy from Saturday Night Live, who's no longer there. He won like five Emmys at Saturday Night Live or something. Um, and now he like does every single Marvel TV show. He does Daredevil. He does Jessica Jones. He does the Defenders. Um, and he, he came on this project, um, um, because he really wants, he likes to help out y- like young filmmakers and he like cut his rate significantly to work on it. And it's just the prosthetics, you know, all the kind of stuff in the film, um, the, the makeup costs so much that you can't really get around. Um, but from what he did, it was incredible. Um, and I just like, oh, I couldn't believe that I got him to do it, like looking back uh, um, because I'm like, I'm just like, he didn't even like look at my short. He just was like, yeah, I'm gung ho to do something kind of a little different. And what was your experience like uh, as opposed to your previous short, taking that around or getting it out there? Well, um, you know, uh, this time it was a little bit more complicated because it was a little more genre movie. And we weren't able to premiere at a bigger U.S. festival. Um, I also think because the length was was a little bit longer. And I think most big festivals that take like genre do like midnight shorts programs really want like something that's like five to eight minutes that are really snappy and punchy and like um, either very comedic or very like very scary or like cheap thrills, you know. Um, And I think it's it's a lot harder when you're trying to do something a little bit more like playing with genre conventions in a short because like you have to if you're going to do it, you have to do it like under 10 minutes. Um, because they like, I don't know, I don't know, you know, I don't know the reasons why some festivals don't take it, but you know, we did, we had a little bit of a festival run. We played at least 10 festivals. Um, we played like BFI London with it. We, um, um, that's where also my, uh, going, going back played as well. 
Um, so I have a connection to that shorts programmer. Um, and so it, it played about four or five genre festivals. It played like Dragon Con, which was kind of fun to go to. Um, and, but yeah, no, uh, I think it kind of, I think um, when it won the Hammer to Nail short, um, short Film Award, um, and when it like um, then a couple other like film uh, film school rejects like wrote a whole post about it. Um, I think those and the, and also became a Vimeo staff pick. I think those like three things that happened like put it out there in a much bigger way than any of the festival runs did. You know, um, because I think that I think that you know it, it allowed. I think shorts like you know you want as many people to watch and obviously you want your film to be watched as with by as many people and with shorts especially like online is like if you can if you're able to be, get a vimeo staff pick or win in a contest that really like expands the reach of a short um by all means do it it's just it's just getting harder and harder um i feel like shorts unless i feel like you should make at least one or two shorts but like after that i don't know i don't know if they make sense anymore if you want to be like a career filmmaker <laughs> Because it's like so much money, unless you can make it for like five hundred bucks or a thousand. Yeah, I'm. I don't think unless it's sort of like, and I hate this, but it's like a calling card short. Then it's like, all right, if you're gonna do that, then do whatever the fuck you want. I'm not like here to tell you what to do, but yeah, I think it. You can get a lot out of a short. It could be like its own thing, like a really nice short story or a, or a poetic kind of thing. But I would never advise someone at this point the amount of money you can make a feature for, I would yeah. never advise like, yeah, spend a ton of money on a short. I would the only, the only thing I would do, um, if it was a short, if it was some sort of, um, I forget what the, the term is, but if it was a reflection of a feature you were making, um, yeah. like be it like you film a scene or you, a concept, you know, if it's like you, a proof of concept, that's what it's called. Um, you know, or if it's like, but most of the shorts that become features, are mostly uh, CGI driven or sci-fi or horror driven um, that are like, you know, that are very specific and they know that people can raise money for them. And it demonstrates that you can like, you know, create this world, you know, but um, that's only, that's the only time I really see like con- proof of concepts, like the very big, like CGI shorts that are like kind of amazing to watch. And you're like, Oh, they're going to make a, go make a star Wars next, you know, or star tracker. Um, but, um, but that's like the only case I, I feel. Yeah. Also to go back to, um, kind of the, the online world thing for shorts, it's pretty disappointing that there aren't more avenues for short films. Like, so there's, you can get a lot out of hammer to nail, I guess film school rejects. Maybe they still have like a little section for it or something. Um, there's no budge. Uh, short of the week and there's also just like a ton of websites that seem to want to do it but kind of don't put any effort into it at all and just end up like either abandoning it or it just becomes another like page you know for your film and there's no write-up there's no interview there's no there's nothing um when in a sense it it kind of is better in many ways than it playing at a festival because it's a short. So people aren't going to spend a lot of time. They don't need to spend a lot of time watching it. And at this point we're so like, 
you know, our attention is everywhere. So people would want to watch a short and it's kind of weird that there aren't more avenues like dedicated avenues to, you know, hosting, uh, short films. It's kind of strange to me. Yeah, no, I know, I, I know, um, the, what's his name? Dan, Dan, um, from filmmaker or used to be at IFP, uh, Dan Shornburn. I can't, yeah. I think he's trying to do like some sort of ice slicer program where he's like, um, I'm not exactly familiar with it completely, but he's trying to kind of create like these short programs that kind of, um, tour the country. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I think it's hard, you know, um, yeah, I mean, there's not that many sites. I, I, I believe you really literally, you just have to like put it out there in the world and hopefully it kind of goes viral in some way or gets Vimeo staff pick or somehow gets like hooked on, um, people see it on YouTube and then it just starts racking up views. But, um, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate. Like, um, I think the only other, I think nowness, um, I have a friend, a uh, friend who works at nowness and I think that's probably the only, like, that's like the main shorts. Um, like they really just like produce and a- acquire shorts to run on nowness, you know? Yeah. Do you know, do you know nowness.com? They're mainly like a fashion and art um, video sites, but they've acquired they've acquired some of my friends' shorts have played there. I don't know how much they pay, you know, but um, they they do commission shorts. Like they'll they'll tell a filmmaker, okay, we want to make a short like this, and the filmmaker will pitch it to them, and you know, it'll be a film. You know, they'll be very specific. The, we want to film about like um, female bodies, or we want to film about arts, or paint, or um, food. You know, but they're very like very art driven, um, and they're very really cool videos. Um, and I I don't know how they make their money because <laughs> there's not that many ads on the site. But I you know it must be like some sort of um, funded thing. Um, they're they're one of the few um, you know that still do it without being like a branded content kind of short. You know, um, um, but I think that's kind of like. You know, I think, you know, if you want to go into commercials, maybe it's a good idea. Like with shorts, like making comedic shorts could help you get into commercials. I don't, you know, I'm not as familiar with the commercial world. I'd love to direct a commercial because it would actually mean I'm a working director. But, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I think that's a whole other um, thing to get into. I mean, the way I see it, I just kind of, I think shorts, like you can, they can just be your art, you know, that, that you can just yeah. do it. Um, because that's the form this, this story or whatever needs to take. And, um, for me, it's kind of like, it takes me so long to learn something. I just have to keep doing it over and over and over again. So it can be as something as just like an exercise, you're sharpening your skills or something like that. Um, but we want to make features. It's in our blood and Guess what? You made a feature, and it's out. It's called Easy Living. Can you tell the audience what it's about? Yeah. um, My film, Easy Living, uh, premiered at South by Southwest this year, Um, and we we ended up signing up with that Amazon – I forget. It's like Festival Stars program where um, they'll release it on Prime. And so, and then we got a distributor, Gravitas, who bought it out of South by Southwest, and they're 
we decided to do a, we had to, because of the window um, with this Amazon festivals program, we decided to release the film. Um, We had to release the film before November. So we, we came out in September, we premiered in New York and now it's online and um, I'll get to now what the film is about. (laughs) Um, You know, the film is about a door-to-door makeup saleswoman who's kind of trying to get her life on track but she's stumbling along all the way until she kind of, uh, I don't know, blows up the end in kind of a, um, a crazy way. But I, you know, it's really, it's really about a woman who's kind of finding her place in the world, you know? Um, and I think, you know, if you've seen my other shorts going back long days, I kind of, you know, it's a, it's kind of the third film. It's like a triptych, this kind of series in a way it's all of them feature women, um, women living out of motels, kind of sidelined in their lives, kind of at a crossroads in a way. And um, with the feature, I I kind of wanted to put a cap end to that kind of um, those themes, you know, Um, these kind of American iconography that I explore. And as well as this this woman who's just, um, who's desperately trying to find her way, which whatever way that is, I don't even think she knows which way to go, (laughs) but... Um, I, I really just, you know, I think with my two first two shorts, um, they were kind of experiments in ways. The first one was kind of a technical experiment. The second one was a genre experiment. And this third was an experiment in character for me. Cause I feel like the first two films are very subtle with the character, um, details. And this was me trying to dive in full force into like a messy character and a complicated woman and, um, and really kind of seeing what that was like, you know? And working with great actors. I really just wanted to work with great actors, you know. Um, and I was very fortunate. Um, uh, this, uh, the lead I ended up um, getting, um, Caroline Duvernay, she's a, she's a uh, Montreal-based actor who was in this one of my favorite shows of all time, which is a show called Wonder Falls, which came out in the early 2000s. And then, of course, she's in um, Hannibal, which I, I love. She's a, the female lead in Hannibal. And uh, it was kind of... Um, I have to say, like, when she signed on to the project, it was like, it, it was like this sigh of relief, like, oh, the f- in my head, I, I knew what she was capable of, because she has, like, such a crazy range, and then, two, I, I um, knew the movie would come together, you know, um, and so, and I think this is her first American indie, she's, I mean, lead-wise, she's never been the lead of an American independent film. And um, she's definitely been in Canada um, and done American, like I've done Canadian indies, but nothing like an American indie. And so uh, once she got on board, then the film came together. And um, and I guess stylistically, um, I, I the film Salesman came to mind, the Ma- uh, the Maisel's Brothers film Salesman. Um, and I was watching that film and like watching it again in like 2010, I bought the criterion. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like one of the few that bought that criterion, but, um, oh, that movie's amazing. I love that movie. No, no, I know. I just didn't know if like people actually own it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Nah, man, I'm with you. Yeah. It's a great rules. film. And I was just like, Oh, in my head, I was like, what's the female version of this like? And, um, slowly, uh, the seeds for the film developed and, you know, originally I wanted to do, um, I really wanted to knock on people's door randomly and let's just like on the fly and kind of create these moments like they did in salesman, you know? Um, but I slowly realized that how difficult it would be to do, um, to do that just like in, in these times, you know, people aren't naive anymore. So, um, especially with a camera and so. 
And so what we ended up doing is, so we had, so the, let me start um, from the beginning. So the film is um, mostly scripted, but there's um, several um, scenes of the lead who's a, um, the character is a door to door makeup saleswoman. And these improvised scenes are these makeup selling moments. Um, and uh, what we scheduled was we shot two days of just door to door makeup selling moments um, the, um, were the first two days of shooting. And we shot about 30 minutes with seven different women in Long Island and Jersey. And, um, and we created, uh, these kind of, kind of intimate moments and kind of improvised quirky scenes with these women. Um, and I wanted those, wanted those moments to lend authenticity to the character as well as kind of ground her in a way. Cause I know the character could be a little bit, you know, she ha- she's a little bit absurd and outrageous sometimes. So, um, I wanted these moments to kind of be almost therapeutic for the audience to kind of like kind of peel away because um, she's a little also a ne- it, she's a little bit of a mystery as well this um, character and it, those moments kind of reveal a little bit about her you know the, the that was like the starting off point um, and we took about two weeks off we kind of I kind of like looked at some of the footage and then we shot for a month the the script about eighteen days. Um, and, uh, you know, it was probably the craziest time of my life because I had like seven, I, I wore seven hats on this movie. I was the producer. I was the director. I was the writer. I was, um, the, uh, I was uh, the first AD. I first AD'd my own movie. I, uh, drove the truck occasionally. I sometimes PA'd, you know, yeah. um, I, I got, I got three days, three hours of sleep a night, <laughs> you know? But I, I, you kind of have to do that for your first movie if you don't have any money. You know, I, I made some sacrifices. I could have hired a first AD, but I decided to save that money, you know. No, I hear you. I mean, yeah, you had to make it work. You you shot first. You shot, like, what are essentially, like, improv scenes, kind of like a documentary. Um, more More so documentary than the rest of the film. Did that influence like the shape of the rest of the film or the style of the rest of the film? Like, how did you work with that? No, I mean the, the, you know, it's funny. Cause like those scenes are a little bit more fluid with the camera. Like the camera moves a little bit more with those scenes and zooms a little bit more. Um, because, um, you know, we were trying to get moments on the fly and we shot those with two cameras. One was static and one was kind of like the zooming or, you know, more, uh, focused probably prime lens camera um and ultimately we you know we ended up in the editing room tried to make those moments the door-to-door makeup selling moments as close um visually stylistically as to the movie so we cut them down like anytime like you know the camera went out of focus or you know it was moving too much we we cut away from that you know um you we try to make it as even though they are a little bit feel a little more loose than the film does, um, I feel like they're it's purposeful to you know to get at the the authenticity of her, the character you know, uh, or just like kind of a more to give more of an intimacy for the to the character. What about uh, this particular story? You know, this uh, saleswoman selling makeup, trying to you know figure out her life and her, her next steps and, and such. What made you be like, got to do this now? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like I said, it was, um, 
it was a riff off some of the Americana stuff I was kind of, you know, dipping my toes into with my other shorts. Um, and I, you know, I really wanted to make a film about an interloper, like a kind of, even though she's, she's kind of a drifter, but she, you know, obviously she's, um, I don't want to ruin too much of the movie, but you know, she's not, she's not like a, like a super drifter, but she's a little bit of a drifter in her life. Um, and, uh, I really wanted to explore a complex woman who had a lot of baggage and kind of didn't know what to do with it and kind of avoided it, you know? And I wanted, but also had dreams and wanted to kind of elevate her station in life, um, but didn't really know how to, you know, and I really wanted to make a woman about, I, you know, I, I really wanted to make a woman who didn't have like a ton of money, you know, but she had ambition. She just had a lot of misguided ambition. <laughs> um, and she didn't really know, and she, but she, she was also a bit naive. She doesn't really, she didn't, she doesn't really have the skill set to like make her dreams happen. Um, you know, and I think those are like a lot of the things that I was kind of feeling like, um, in my life, you know, like how do I kind of elevate my position in the world, you know? Um, and, and also it's, you know, all these like elements in the film about, um, family and relationships as well, or like marriage, like kind of these like heteronormative kind of things that she's kind of bombarded by in the film of like, you know, a lot of people are kind of subtly telling her how she should live her life. Um, I was kind of felt like I was feeling that from not overtly, but from the world it was like, kind of like trying to tell me that I wasn't living my life correctly, you know? Um, and I think those are the kind of things that I want to explore with this character, you know? Um, you know, this woman who's not a very, she's a very, very flawed character, but she also is someone who's really trying and she's self-determined in her way, you know? Um, and she's not like, even though she, there's some like unlikable things about her, I think there's still like um, uh, a, a, a vulnerable spirit in her, you know, and like uh, uh, she's she can be generous. She gives the dog food. you know. <laughs> I think there's moments that she can she she has, she can give love. She just doesn't know how to take it. You know, what was it like for your first feature to work with these kind of you know, established actors or like, uh, I want to say, you know, bigger names, you know, it's pretty big. Uh, you just said your favorite TV show was wonderful. So like, what was that like? How did you, you know, not break down every day being like, oh my God, you know, this person is in my movie. What was that like, you know, taking the plunge, not only to such a longer and more expensive work than you'd ever done before, but to also just being like, oh, wow. Top talent. Okay. You know, it's, um, well, one, it's almost, I didn't have enough time to think about it. <laughs> and I put a lot of trust in my, um, casting director to like, um, you know, send me people, you know, obviously we did a few casting sessions for some key, um, characters, but you know, I didn't always have enough time to like find these people. And he'd just be like, how about this guy? How about this person? And I just like review their stuff. And I was like, great. And it was like, I had no idea that, you know, most of these actors were like really good character actors, you know, that have been working around, you know. Um, and and obviously I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Marvel, you know, who's in House of Cards and A Million Things and Homeland. And she plays um, the lead character. She plays Abby, the lead character's sister. And that was kind of amazing that, she, you know, she met with me and um, she agreed to do the movie. And, and it was that was like I, I felt like once 
both the combination of Caroline and Elizabeth Marvel signing on, I mean, I felt a little bit of confidence there, you know, because they trusted me. And, and then I think also ultimately it had to do with just being the first day of those improvised uh, door-to-door makeup selling day- moments. And I saw Caroline on set and, you know, obviously we're just like in a hurry to try to just get the first like shoot up for scene up. And I just like watched behind the camera and I just like, I was like, holy fuck, like she's really doing it. And it's, and it's the reason why I had such a traumatic, like almost response in my head, because we didn't really talk that much. We had literally two like 30 minute conversations, you know, over Skype two like 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And I was like always asking her, like, do you want to talk about the character? Like I, you know, I'd be like, so I was like, in my head, I was like, I, I hope she has it. Like, just not, I wasn't worried, but I just was like, I, she wasn't really asking me about that much. And she just like blew my mind. And, and also I didn't know she could improvise. So, you know, it's, she, a lot, all those improvised scenes were from her. Like, um, you know, she, this, she created that moment about her mom dying. Like that wasn't in the script. I never talked to her about that. And so, like, and that grounds the character, like, completely, you know. Well, that's interesting. That's actually a really, like, a, if anything, like, a, a nice way to start the shoot, the way you guys uh, scheduled that. Yeah. You know, to kind of warm up. Obviously, it's good stuff. You use it in the movie. But that's, like, a really <laughs> smart idea to do, like, to warm up for the rest of the uh, project. Yeah, no, I, I think also, you know, it was more of just me thinking about, like, oh, could I... How I just need to be able to, you know, because these are improvised moments, I don't know how fully they're going to work in the movie yet. Um, I just wanted to have a little bit of time, you know, a couple weeks to, you know, originally we wanted like two to three months between like the scripted and improvised and knew, realized, oh, that wasn't going to work. Um, and so, uh, so we had about two weeks. Um, and so that allowed um, us to kind of like, if we had to like organically kind of fit that in, fit those scenes in as best as we could, you know, um, we didn't really rewrite this, uh, script that much, but, um, it was, they were very, um, I think because we, we didn't ultimately end up sculpting those moments till we were in the editing, you know, but, um, it was, I think it was just a good warm up, and it, you know, for her especially, you know, um, and just allowed her to die and kind of just, I think those two days allowed her to kind of figure out her, what her exterior polished self was. And then, you know, the, the script was like her interior almost, you know, though polished still. And, <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I was, I was very fortunate to be able to like have that time to do the, to, to have that time between the two shoots. Like how difficult was it to, uh, get this, project going like budget wise i have been working on the script for four to five years like um it was just a long process and in 2015 i remember like in january february 2015 i was like if i don't make this script this year i'm literally throwing it in the garbage never thinking about it again because that was like four or five years at that point and i was like i'm ready to move on you know I, we weren't like actively trying what we were trying to do was you know we were trying to apply to like a, a screenwriting lab or whatever you know whatnot you know um, but w- what ended up happening is that also I had some health issues in 2013 that kind of derailed the film a little bit. So I had to like, kind of like get better. Um, 
And then, um, but, you know, we, we got a grant from the Jerome Foundation. It was my second grant. Um, they gave me one for long days and they gave me one for um, a bigger one for easy living, which was like amazing. So that gave us um, some money for pre-production. Um, and um, once we had that, you know, it's like once you have like a grant, you're like kind of legitimate, you know, in a way. <laughs> Um, you're like, and so once we had that, I went to, um, a casting director and I told, you know, I had some money, you know, I, uh, I had some money from like, um, one of my, um, grandparents passing away who left me some money. So I, I knew that would be like the starting point. So we had, the film isn't that much. I don't want to go into like technically how much it costs, but we had, we had at least half the budget, you know, um, and which is not that much for the movie, but we had at least half the budget, which was assigned to like um, the casting director is like, okay, I can take this on because we can tell people, Oh, we have half the budget. Um, this is like, this is going to happen. And so, you know, we started going out to actors, you know, it, it's a casting director I had known for a while. Um, I produced a friend short of mine. It was called jackpot. Um, I think we made it. I can't remember when we made it in like 2000, um, like 12, I think we produced that short or no, 2013, 2012. Um, and I, I met him through that short and, you know, I told him about this feature that I was writing. And then whenever I'd run into him at bar, like, um, a gay bar, he'd, he'd come up to me, what, what's going on with this feature? Um, and so, uh, finally I just sent it to him and he's like, it's great. You know, he sent it back to me. He's like, you should like refine the typos, but then he said, then he, uh, took it back. Um, and we started like, um, going out to actors, um, and luckily Caroline said yes, you know, and that's when it like really started. I think we, we were trying to get it made in like September of 2015 and then Caroline just said yes in September. So we pushed it back like 2000 to November, um, 2015. Yeah. So this is now available everywhere. Um, you can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Amazon, correct? In the U.S. Currently, we're still, we're hoping, because she's Canadian, we're hoping to get a Canadian deal soon. Um, but uh, in the U.S., it's available literally on every single, like, cable VOD, pay-per-view, like Time Warner, Spectrum, you know, Verizon Fios, Comcast. And then it's also available on all digital um, platforms, iTunes, uh, Amazon VOD, uh, Google play, you know, YouTube, Vimeo, um, anywhere, you know? Um, and I think, uh, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm like, I have no idea how well it's doing. So, <laughs> um, and I probably won't know for another month or two, but, um, you know, it's, you know, ultimately like, um, I think it's a film that will take a while to find its audience, you know, because I think the people, you know, the good review, you know, it's like, I've gotten some really good reviews and uh, some people have like, come up to me and like said how much they love it. But then I've, you know, definitely there's critics who like say, yeah, we're, I'm not like a fan of it and they won't review it, you know? So it's like, I, I definitely know that it has its own wavelength and I know the character is very unique. And I feel like if you're on her kind of absurd, like wavelength, then you really are into the movie. And if you're not, you're not, you know, I wanted to know if you had any, you know, coming off your first feature, do you have any tips for people that want to make their film or, what you wish you knew before you started your film? Like, what can you tell these people that need to make their film but haven't yet? Yeah, number one, and I've talked about this before, um, the number one thing is 
um, for your first movie, use create the story around um, the resources at your disposal, you know? Be it like a location, like, oh, you have a farm, you know, your aunt has a farm, use the farm, put the fucking farm in the movie. You know, you have access to a bodega, you have, you know, don't try to like, try to get locations, you know? If you don't have any money, don't just be like, oh, I want to like set a movie in a school, in a, like a, in a university, you know? It's like, unless you have like so much access to uh, like an institution, like a massive university, it's not going to happen, you know, or it'll make the film, it'll prolong from the film happening, you know? And I think at this point, it's so easy to make features. You can make features for under 50 grand. It's crazy. Um, That I would, you know, I, I think just pull together all your, your resources. You know, do you know actors? Do you know anybody who, who's a name or do you just know any good actors like who are just dying to work? And most of these actors will work for free. Um, and and so you know on non-union stuff so it's you there, there's ways of getting around things like you can shoot anywhere in new york without a permit you know basically now so i i think you know it's it's not hard i think it's just pulling together i think i i the reason why i like did my movie the way i did because i was like oh i know i could get into access of women's homes you know i knew that wouldn't be that hard to like find some women and we that's how we we cast women through family friends or we also put on ads on backstage you know most of them were non-actors but and they allowed us to come in their home and film them and then most of the other locations we found you know um the sister's house was free um two or three locations were like airbnb which we like fucked up their location and we had to pay money for on the back end which sucked um i think um, one thing I can tell someone that I really screwed up on was in post, you know, and kind of the, the, the order post is done in a specific order. And, you know, I thought I was ready at some point. I ended up getting into um, this. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called U.S. in Progress, and it happens twice a year in Paris and Poland. And, and the film got in and um, last year and before it came to the uh, U.S. in progress in like June of last 2016, I thought the film was done. And th- this film was a totally different movie. It was 90 minutes long. It was t- at least 10 minutes longer. Um, and I literally delivered all my stuff, all the audio, all the video stuff to the audio guy, my sound editor. I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm just going to this U.S. in progress. I'm not going to get any notes that'll be useful. Where I'll be ready to go. Just hit, just start working on it right now. And I went to U.S. in Progress, and when I was there, it like a big slap in the face, and, and like getting people's reaction to the movie, and we're like, "Oh, I'm not done," you know. And I called my sound editor at like, I think it was like three in the morning or some, or it was three in the morning in Paris. <laughs> it was you know, you know, nine p.m. or something in New York, and I was like, "Okay, put on the brakes." <laughs> um, but I think also, also I messed up along the way. Um, once I got back and hired a new editor and, and recut the movie, there were some other technical issues that happened along the way that, um, fucked up, um, the sound editors starting to work on it again. And so what ended up happening is that, you know, the original quote the sound editor gave us, um, ended up being a lot more because of my, the, my mistakes. And usually when you have, you usually bring on, that's what a, 
super uh, what's it called a uh, post supervisor post production supervisors for they're the one managing it and, I, and in this case I was doing everything and I didn't know what the fuck I was doing <laughs> whereas like the pro supervisor would be like don't send it to the guy like yet <laughs> like go to Paris go do your thing you know see if you need to recut it you know um, whereas I was like I was kind of a lone wolf. Um, I have, I had a producer obviously, and she kind of just like followed my lead. So, um, I think that's kind of the one thing I majorly fucked up on was like, take your time and post, make sure you're really ready when you're really ready. Um, because all these other costs will come up and, you know, bite you in the ass. And I swear to God, it really fucked me over. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. Um, I want to go back to a, uh, like use what you got thing. Um, which I absolutely firmly believe. And, um, yeah, the thing is too, that some, you know, not everybody can kind of conform to what they have. And I, you know, that's fair. I think you should try, but I understand that not a lot of people, not everyone can write like that, but I do think that people aren't really thinking what they have. Like, you know, this person is from a small town and their parents have been there their entire lives. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's like, well, so maybe they know the person who runs the little grocery store down the street, or they know the person that runs this business or that business. Uh, that's very useful and you should use that. So I want to, you know, reiterate what you said and just be like, please think, you know, don't, it doesn't just have to be like, well, my parents have a house. I'll use a house. It's like, yeah, that's good. But like, really think like, who do you know? Who are your friends? You know, your family, like who do they know? Stuff like that. You could probably end up doing something really interesting that you wouldn't have thought of. So people, please think, (laughs) you know, start, make a list of people, you know, and, um, what they got and make them help you. And, like, you can kind of transform scenes in your script to, to other locations based on what you, you know, it's, you know, obviously if you're making a, I don't know, a movie on a beach, you can't really, like, you know, make it on, like, on land, you know, I don't know, you know, but, uh, but uh, yeah, you really, I think it's the only way to make a small movie, like, with no money, because otherwise all these costs that you don't have will go into production and then you won't have anything left for um, post, which is a lot of money. And that's when, you know, um, there was a lot, there was some audio issues with some of our um, making my movie. There was a little bit of audio issues with um, the recording of some of the dialogue on set. So like the, the, the Senator really had to dig into that audio, you know, and like you, you can't, that is where the polish happens in the coloring in the sound you know that's where the movie obviously in editing but like the sound color music that's when the movie really gets its like flesh you know because otherwise it's a little bit raw still well those are what we think you should know if you want to make your film um and before we leave you mentioned you had worked with vincent gallo so i demand at least an anecdote of that experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I have a couple like sweet, like tidbits that I remember. Um, 
I remember like hanging out with Vincent a couple times at craft services and um, I would be, you know, I, I love peanut butter or peanut butter banana. That's like my go-to like snack on a set. And I, w- I was just scooping some peanut butter and he like, I put down the peanut butter and he took it and he just like took a big like spoonful of peanut butter and put it in his mouth. And he was just like, oh, I love peanut butter. Um, and he, he just uh, went in this, also went on a, like a little tirade about how like sugar is like the death of all human mankind, but uh, which is understandable. Um, and he's also a very physically fit, somewhat a little emaciated guy. Um, but uh, that was kind of a funny moment. And then I remember um, on set once he wanted there, there was a moment where they wanted, he wanted to have a song in the scene. And, um, and I, and I was just a huge, I was a huge music lover then, obviously I was just coming out of college. I had all these CDs when CDs were so cool. And I ran to my car and brought out my CD case. And I just like, it was like, oh, I have CDs. And like, I handed it to him and he like flipped through my CDs and was like, oh yeah, you have this like Art Brute CD. I love them. And la la la. He just like kept on like complimenting like some of my CDs. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And um, then he landed on um, this uh, Dusty and Memphis album that um, obviously I'm a huge fan of. And he picked, I'm trying to, um, The Windmills of My Mind. That's the song. He picked the windmills on my mind off of Dusty, um, Dusty Memphis, and he played it in the scene like a million times. <laughs> and I felt like so cool that he like chose my CD out of my CD case. And um, yeah, but yeah, that was that was it. I you know he's you know he he's a really energetic guy and kind of a cool person to work with. I I actually enjoyed the experience. Well, those are the most precious stories you'll hear about Vincent Gallo, I'm sure people so enjoy them relish in them so people please check out easy living i'm going to link to it in the accompanying article and you could also watch his short i'll put that in there as well and yeah anything you would like to say to the listeners before we part yeah no i um i think i just say a little bit about my one last pleading case to go see my movie. (laughs) Um, You know, I put all this like effort in and I think it's an interesting film and will kind of, uh, kind of zigzag you and take you in many directions. And um, just to support small movies, because how else are we, anyone else is going to make any more if we don't within the film community, not smart our own selves, you know? Um, But yeah, just go to easylivingfilm.com on iTunes, you know, we're everywhere. And also, well, I, I can't really announce it yet, but we're, we're, we will have an international premiere soon, um, and I will um, be able to announce it. In a, so just go to our um, easylivingfilm.com and find out where international premiere is the next couple, couple weeks. Cool. Do it, people. Uh, and Adam, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Peace. IndieB and all the Playlist podcasts are sponsored by MUBI, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. MUBI's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get a 7-day free trial, so this is the real deal, people. You could do five ninety nine a month or forty seven ninety nine for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. 
So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, Sonnies. Mubi is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Mubi is now showing in the U.S. of A. Our prelude to Halloween begin. <laughs> so, we have Night of the Living Dead, uh, the 1968 George A. Romero, R.I.P. and Peace version. Uh, I'm not really sure what more I could possibly say about this one. I feel like you should know it. Um, if you don't, then you need to watch it ASAP. And if you do know it, whatever, watch it again. There's also Rabid which is an older movie from David Cronenberg from 1977. It's a really small film, small budget, and uh, it's still got his kind of political commentary and gross stuff. So if you're into that, you know, go for it. There's also 1983's Angst, which is from Austria, and it's a cult movie from there about a serial killer. And it is great, and it will definitely get you in the mood for Halloween. Look, I'm going to be honest. That's all we have time for today. I appreciate you listening, and I will say please check out the other episodes of Indie Beat. We are on the Playlist Podcast Network. There's tons of other great shows on there as well, so please do check them out. Hey, you know, give us a nice review. Give us a nice comment. And... You know what? Let me know if there are any filmmakers or programmers or critics or actors, uh, you know, that are not super well-known and you think they should be more well-known because I'd love to have them on my show. I have quite a few people I want on, you know, the list is, it's pretty big, so I'm not really hurting for it, but I would like to branch out and find new people and there's only so much I can do on my own um, because my circles are you know they're big but they're still limited their circles they they connect they end they close off so yeah uh, let me know you can find us at uh, on Facebook at IndieBeat Movies so it's like facebook.com slash movies and we're also on Twitter with that same handle, Indie Beat Movies. Thanks again until we make another episode and you listen to it. Bye.